Good morning. Welcome to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, your host. We're getting towards the end of March. What a great time of year. The snow is just about gone, we hope. And there's a lot going on in the greenhouse. Pansies. We talked a little bit a couple, few weeks ago about pansies and man, they're blooming now. It's just excitement everywhere. Um, we're cooling them down. We're hardening them off so that they're ready to plant very soon, if not right now. Uh, we're just waiting for, for some cooler temps just to get them down low. And, uh, you know, buds are swelling on trees. If you look up in the tops of the canopies of trees, you can start to see kind of just some buds starting to swell up uh those red maples you know are starting to show their their buds um we've had some good moisture so uh things are starting to activate um magnolias are starting to swell a little bit you know all everything's ready to go we just need to continue these warm temps and uh keep things rolling I know we've got snowdrops and we've got uh, daffodils and some other things starting to pop up out of the ground. Perennials are right behind them. And, uh, you know, we had a time change a couple weeks ago. Um, Man, is it nice to be light out at the end of the day. It's a little depressing to be so dark in the morning, but I'm not a real early riser most of the time anyways. But that end of day I find really productive when we have good sunlight. So now I'm coming home from work and I'm starting to kind of tinker out in the garden. You know, I'm looking at a few things that might need to be pruned. Maybe there's a few branches that might need to be pruned due to winter damage. Uh, things are starting to activate and grow. I'm, I'm raking up some of those leaves that are left over from fall. And uh, I'm working on my plow damage. Um, uh, boy, my yard's a mess this year. You know, it's been really tough. We've had some of these late snows, and, and I have a gravel driveway, and and boy, I, I made a mess out of it this year. And uh, so I've got some work to do there. We're going to be talking with Jim Massey from Estabrooks and Yarmouth, my manager, and uh, he's going to be talking to us about plow damage and how we can fix it, how we can work with our you know lawn this spring to, to get the best lawn we possibly can. And uh, the first loads of nursery stock are arriving this week. And so the yard is starting to fill up. We've got mulch coming in. We've got bag soils. Our Coast of Maine delivery and our, our Old Castle deliveries are coming in. And, you know, the yard's just starting to kind of bustle. Pottery just arrived. So spring is here folks it's time to come visit us at, at the yarma store and uh our kennebunk and scarborough stores will be open sometime in april uh i know a lot of you at the flower show were asking about that and and people are coming into yarmouth are asking about that we don't have a definite date right this right this minute just because we're waiting for mother nature to tell us uh last year we were open the first week of april um down in those stores but this year uh things are are going a little bit later uh we've got some work to do in some of the stores and and some cleanup stuff so um check out our e-news um you can sign up for it at estabrooksonline.com that will allow you to uh get the updates every thursday uh we send out a nice email that has a lot of information it's not really sale oriented it's more information on gardening and what you should be doing that week and uh you know it's a great way to learn when we're going to open those stores so but we're going to have some questions from some customers here that have been submitted to our website and uh we've got some on dahlias and we're going to do some on oh 
invasives. We're going to talk a little bit about invasives today. Uh, it's a hot button issue. It's something that uh, you know a lot of people are very passionate about. Um, and you know we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about planting seeds inside and what you need to do to get great seedlings. So we're gonna start it off with uh, our friend Norm. Norm from Springvale. He's he's active. He's been putting a bunch of questions in. We really appreciate it, Norm. Um, his question is, he has a lot of dahlias um, from small 12-inch to tall 10-foot. Wow, 10-foot dahlia. Can you imagine that? How beautiful that must be. The dark color foliage and Bishop series are my favorite. The Bishop series have been a concern for years, for about three years for him. It sounds like he's having some problems with um, they're not flowering well or performing well. Well, Norm, it sounds to me like uh, dahlias are one of those things that they do have kind of a lifespan. It sounds like you've had them for quite some time. Dahlias are something that need to be divided periodically. So if you have some really big clumps, you may need to divide them in two or three pieces. A lot of times they can kind of grow themselves to death and you, you will have all these bulblets on the bulbs. And, and what happens is they end up feeding the foliage. You may see some stunting. You're not kind of getting, you know, the vigor you would like. So dividing them up might be, might be a, a good thing. The other thing you might have is you might have some disease in your root system, you know, that uh, they've just been stressed over the years, you digging them up and dividing them and, and uh, replanting them and, and you know, there is a life expectancy to these bulbs. So if you've been using them for years and years and years, uh, you may be having some of that, that trouble also. Some fungal fungicide might be a good choice, um, something like copper sulfate, um, spraying them down when you winter them in the fall, making sure they go in good and dry. It, it sounds like you're getting plenty of blooms, but they're not really doing what you want. So th that to me is is the two things I would look at is disease in the bulb. And I, I also would recommend that you you make sure and divide those bulbs. It, it sounds like in your question here, you, you gave us a little bit of information that some of these tubers are 18 or 20 years old. Good for you. That's, that's amazing. Um, that must be quite the collection. You know, I, I think dividing might be part of the issue also. So Make sure that that the clumps are not too big, but it sounds sounds like you're just losing a lot of vigor, and that that's pretty common. That is a common thing. So maybe cutting back a little bit on your fertilizer also might be a good idea. Uh, Norm's using a liquid fertilizer um, when they sprout, making sure they got good root system before they go go uh, pushing too much growth. So Norm, I hope that helps. If you are able to divide those and they t tend to perform a lot better this year, please send me an email. I'd love to hear the feedback. That would be great. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. Do you have planting insurance? You can with Biotone Starter Plus from Mespoma. It's the ultimate starter plant food, and you can use it for everything you plant. Just mix it in with the soil. It works like three products in one to guarantee your success, even in poor soils. The secret is a special blend of natural organic plant food, beneficial microbes, and mycorrhizal fungi. The result is that plants grow faster, roots grow deeper, and flowers and vegetables become more abundant. 
Maintain your plants with the Tones, a full line of organic plant foods including Holly Tone, Plant Tone, and Rose Tone. There's a tone for almost every tree, shrub, flower, or vegetable. Best of all, every Espoma product is safe for people, pets, and the environment. Look for Biotone Starter Plus at your local garden center and visit espoma.com slash videos for product info and valuable gardening tips. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929. We know you have lots of choices when buying plants and garden supplies. Wouldn't you rather come to someone at your local garden center where you know us and we know you? Someone who knows Maine soil, Maine's climate, and knows what plants will thrive here. Someone who will make sure you find what you're looking for here or at one of our other independent garden centers. We support each other and work together to satisfy you. Wouldn't you rather come to your local garden center? We're the Independent Garden Centers of Maine at maineigc.com. And welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. Uh, we were just talking with Norm about dahlias. They're such a such a great plant. We have many different styles available for sale, but a tw- 18 or 20-year-old collection, that's that's something special. So, Norm, I just want to say congratulations on that, that uh, collection. Love to have you post some pictures on our Facebook page or email me some pictures during the growing season. That would be a great thing to have for our website and or uh, Facebook page. So that would be great. And uh, we're going to take another question from uh, Christy in Amherst, New Hampshire, um, and she lives on Shabig uh, in the summer. What ornamental shrubs are considered invasive, and what are good substitutes? Well, this is always a hot-button issue when it comes to invasives. We've done a lot of work as an industry with working with the state of Maine on what is invasive and what isn't. We are fortunate that our, our state Government has not put us in a situation where we have an invasive list that we can't sell certain things. They've worked very closely with the industry to make sure that we're working towards getting better varieties and, you know, less invasive varieties in some of these species and genuses. So what I'd like to say is invasive, to an extent, is in the eye of the beholder. Because some people would consider beach roses like Rosa rugosa as invasive, which they can be. But it's kind of, in some way, some of it is a personal choice. Um, Burning bush is a prime example of one that I would say is quite invasive. It's something that we sell the compact varieties. We do not sell the old species. So Euonymus alatus, the old-fashioned one that you see around old farmhouses that have the red berries hanging all over them and are really spectacular with that berry, but they have the big wings on, on on the bark. But it's extremely invasive, and if you go into certain areas here in the state, you'll see that it's just seeded in all over the place. A lot of times these are plants that the birds love to eat the seeds. It goes through their systems, striates the seed, and then they drop it out in the woodland, and then they sprout. So any plants, you know, we can call many of our native viburnums here in the state invasive. If you go up into the woods up in Newry and some of the mountains, you'll see there's many, many native viburnums in understory. Would you call those invasive or are they native? I kind of call them a little bit of both because they're a native, but they do spread by seed. They do actively reproduce out in the wild. So 
we have to be a little bit cautious about earmarking things as invasive totally. Now, one thing I will speak very strongly is bittersweet. It's a beautiful plant, but it's a weed. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, I, I hate it when I go by all these nice old farmhouse doors and they've got nice bittersweet wreaths. Now, I always hope that they're fake because from a distance, bittersweet wreaths, you can't tell whether they're fake or real. A fake bittersweet wreath is the way to go. And partly the reason I say that is bittersweet is extremely invasive. It was planted back in in the wars to protect some of our bases. Um, if you look at a lot of the islands that have bases on them, um, Shabig probably has a bunch of it, um, you know, certainly Peaks and some of the others. You know, we've spent a lot of money in this state trying to eradicate bittersweet. Now, back in those days, we didn't know. It grew very quickly. It covered what we needed to camouflage, and it served a purpose. So with all new varieties that are coming on the market, we have to evaluate them over a period of time and figure out whether they're invasive. Purple loosestrife is a prime example of something that is very invasive, and we cannot sell and haven't been able to, to sell that in a long time. And anybody who digs up purple loosestrife and, mo and moves it to their, their yard is crazy. I can remember as a kid we used to sell it by the hundreds, and it's unfortunate, but we didn't know any better at that time. Now it's that big purple plant you see in every wetlands, you know, you see it out there, and we get hundreds of customers that come in every year and go, oh my God, it's beautiful, you know, can I buy it? Um, or I dug a piece up and brought it to my yard, and now it's everywhere. So, you know, certainly, you know, do some research, but let's talk a little bit about some of the different things that we can recommend to offset some of these plants. So burning bush, prime example. Blueberries. Blueberries would be an excellent choice for offsetting burning bush. Great fall color, plus you get fruit to eat with the kids, and you, you get great foliage and great structure and bark in the winter. But the fall color is a dark, dark red, really nice late-season fall color. So I would recommend blueberry or viburnums. And we talked a little bit about viburnums and whether or not viburnums were um, invasive or not. Most of the ones we sell in the nursery are not. You know, I'm not too, too concerned about that. You know, viburnum emerald triumph would be a great one. It's an updated variety of Mohican viburnum, has absolutely fabulous orange-red fall color on the interior, and the newest growth stays nice and green, and it has a black berry. So it gives you a great show in the fall, a wonderful white flower in the spring, beautiful foliage all summer. So really, really nice, nice plant. Something underused, I believe. Other viburnums, like Mauricii viburnum, would be another good one. So those would be some nice choices to get that red fall color. You know, does anything replace a burning bush? Probably not. I mean, that that is a special plant. It's definitely bright and beautiful. You know, enjoy the ones that are around everywhere. We still sell burning bush, the compacta variety. We also, when we can get it, sell Rudy Haig, which is an almost sterile variety. You know, so you might look at Rudy Haig if you can find it. It's kind of tough to tough to find. Barberry. Barberry is something that, you know, for years we planted. When, if you go into old neighborhoods, you'll see hedges of barberry with berries all over it. it. used to be a great plant we recommended for the place where the kids walk through the yard because it's got a nice big thorn on it. 
you know, or that high traffic area where, you know, in commercial where you didn't want pedestrians walking, you know, through the parking lot or whatnot. Uh, so nice big thorn, great berry, you know, always kind of looked good, but very invasive. So we sell um, some of the real compact varieties like Crimson Pygmy and Concord and um, a few other dwarf varieties. We don't sell many of the big varieties anymore um, just because of the invasive issue. So we've kind of kind of phased out of those. And then Rosa Ragosa, take it for what it's worth. Personally, I don't find it to be invasive. I look at it more as a, a, a native type of plant now. I think it's been here long enough to consider it more of a native. It's something that can be eradicated fairly easily because it doesn't spread that easily by seed because the birds don't really take the fruit away. Um, it mostly drops right where the plant is. It suckers from the base, so it's not something that we see sprouting up everywhere. But who knows, another 20 years we might be saying a different story. Bittersweet, I have strong feelings about bittersweet. There really isn't a great substitute. Um, you might look at some of the late fall clematis, like clematis paniculata, gives you that late color. We've got a new one this year that's going to be lavender, which I think is going to be really kind of nice. Um, that's being put out by proven winners this year. Um, and then, of course, the old standby white. You might also look at climbing honeysuckle. You know, when we say honeysuckle, the old-fashioned ones are very invasive, but the climbing types are not that invasive, usually because we're using them in a place where they don't get much berry and uh, the birds don't really strip any fruit off of them. So there's no real place the seed basically falls at the base of the plant. Um, but old-fashioned honeysuckle, my gosh, that's one that, you know, we get a few people every year because it's a real nice fragrant plant in the spring. But if you've ever had one in your yard and you have kind of a wet slough kind of area, I'm sure it's spread over 20 years. Um, it's just a, a natural spreading plant. Um, the seeds, the birds love it. Um, it's one of those plants that they they just love because there's such an abundance um, and they spread them very easily. So. So when it comes to, you know, whether or not something's invasive, I think it's a little bit up to interpretation. Certainly ask us, you know, when you're doing your plant choices. A lot of the native species that we plant do have a type of invasiveness to them. But if you're planting it in a wood line, you know, and it's native and it naturally reproduces and it's natural here in the state of Maine, I'm not so concerned. If it's been introduced, I have a little concern. So a lot of these plants we do not carry. I'd like to thank Christy for the question. It's uh, one that I'm sure will come up time and time again throughout the shows. If you have questions about any of the plants that are in your yard, whether or not they're invasive, post the questions on our website at estabrooksonline.com backslash radio, and that'll be a great place for us to kind of have continued conversation about invasives. And uh, I'm sure we'll be working with the government here in the state of Maine over the next foreseeable future um, about invasives. The conversation continues, and we're always looking to make sure that we're doing the right thing uh, for our environment. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, I'm going to be talking with Jim Massey about plow damage and uh, what is going on in your yard. I know mine's a mess, but uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more of the joy of gardening on News Talk WLOB.
Hi, this is Peter Boldick at Harvest Hill Farms. For those folks who are looking for healthy eating alternatives, we have been raising natural range-fed beef and poultry right here in the great state of Maine for over 15 years. Let us introduce you to our Never Ever program. Our animals are never ever introduced to growth hormones or antibiotics, only raised as nature intended. We are conveniently located on Route 26 in Mechanic Falls. To find out more, call us at 998-5485 or go to our website, harvesthillfarms.com. That's harvesthillfarms.com. I want a great garden this year, but I don't know where to start. Does this sound like you? With so many great plants available, it can be tough knowing which ones are right for you and your home. The gardening pros at Estabrooks can help. Every time I come, they're always helpful to us. They are really knowledgeable about things because I don't know that much about gardening, so they always tell me what you know would be right in my house in the sun and the setting. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. And welcome back to The Joy of Gardening. We were just talking invasives, and we'll leave it up to you what's invasive and what isn't. There's many lists out there. Uh, there's a list on our website, I'm sure, and many online that are good guides. Uh, the state of Maine has has a good list also, so um, contact your extension services for that list. I want to welcome Jim Massey back to the show, uh, nursing manager in Yarmouth. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, plow damage today. Hey, Tom. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. So plow damage. Mm. We've had a long winter. Uh, Mother Nature is finally coming around. I know my yard is just a mess. Yeah, it seems like every season I'm always patching, you know, the one edge closest to the road. So um, whether the salt, the salt, the sand just suffocates that beautiful grass that I coached all summer. But So other than raking off all that rock, which I do every spring, Probably a, a good top dressing of a compost is what I do in the spring. And I water, water, water to get that salt, you know, through the soil so I can start my grass afresh. Do you water before you seed? Unless we have really heavy rains, you know, there's a lot of salt buildup. So if, you know, if we're dry in the spring, you know, a little extra watering, you know, can help push that salt through the soil. So when you put your seed down, you know, you're not with that you know loose soil you're putting up that can wick the salt into that soil so i like to make sure that i water it unless it's you know rained or a lot you know before i'm about to seed that's a great tip i i, I wouldn't even think about doing i never have done that <laughs> well you know i i like to set the bar in an a you know every spring is different and we're only as effective as the time we have but you know it's a really great thing to think about is you know what salt is still left in the soil if you can so. yeah well the yeah. lucky the lucky part is i don't use any salt i have a gravel driveway so i don't need that on right and i'm right on the street so i can hardly avoid it so okay. yeah so um, you know let's face it i mean the plows have have beat up the lawn um yeah. you know we've got turned over large clumps of lawn will will those larger clumps kind of come back or or do they typically die or well, there's so many factors involved. Some people have success with, you know, tamping the clump back in. It really depends on how long those roots have been exposed to, you know, freezing temperatures. My experience is that they don't come back. So instead of fooling around with tamping them back in, you know, I remove the clumps. And usually in the raking process to get the gravel off, again, it's site-specific. But usually, um, you know, in the raking process, getting the gravel off, at the same time, the clumps really don't stick the way I'd like. So I skip that step. 
I fill in with some topsoil that's mixed with some compost, and then I decide which seed, you know, that I'm using for that particular site. And does grass seed really matter? I mean... Well, it does. And unfortunately, you know, grass in Maine is a challenge because um, of our tough winters, and most of the grasses that we want are going to be like a fescue-type grass. A lot of uh, grass mixes, especially the general mixes that you're getting that aren't, you know, um, blended specifically for local garden centers, they have a high content of bluegrass. It's a beautiful grass, fortunately, but it takes a lot of fertilizing, a lot of watering, and it's very low traffic. So we prefer, or I prefer in my yard, to do a high fescue blend, which is going to handle the tough drought conditions as well as the uh, traffic, etc. Mm-hmm. And they've improved the, the blade width of fescues. used to be the fescues were really thin-looking, so now they've improved that grass greatly by um, breeding the plants to have wider blades so it looks more like the grass that we're used to seeing. And, yeah. and you know, it, it always frustrates me, you know, in the spring because you see all this plow damage. And, mm. you know, people come in and they do a nice job. They put down new soil and they put down nice seed and, and seed cover and all this other stuff. Yeah. But they don't overseed into their lawns, so the lawn never blends well. Do you recommend that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Overseeding is key. Um, you know, over time as well, your grasses in your lawn get weaker and weaker, so overseeding into it is great for blending the, the section that you just replaced, but also to up the varietal content in your lawn. So even if your lawn doesn't have plow damage, you know, our winters are really hard on lawns anyway, so I always recommend you overseed to keep your lawn good and healthy if you can. And, you know, one thing that I wanted to mention, uh, you, men- you mentioned just a minute ago about covering the seed. I speak to a lot of people that don't necessarily cover their seed when they put it down, and, and that's I think, is really, really key. Anytime you're putting a, a seed down, um, except for overseeding to existing lawn, because that would be enough cover, the, the seed, that you, the grass that you have there, any new area should always be covered just because the grass that you really want is a grass that usually sprouts a lot later and needs that kind of part shade covering to really thrive. The grasses that come up early in your seed mixes are what we call nurse grasses, which provide shade for, hold the ground, first of all, so you don't get um, runoff if it's on a slope, and also they provide shade for the quality grasses that are going to be more perennial to come up underneath them. So, And, and the, the thing with fescues, what I've found, is fescues tend to germinate at a slower rate. So you want to make sure that you cover so you don't get, um, you know, birds in there. Um, You don't dry your grass out, um, which is another reason to cover. Dry your seed out, it holds more moisture, and also it allows more shade for those more desirable grasses to come up. So talk to me a little bit of, you know, we've talked about prepping your bed, cover. Sure. What, What about fertilizer? Well, fertilizer is key. Um, You know, a starter fertilizer, anytime you put a lawn in, is ideal. We do have a lot of these, when I talked about covering your seed, we do have uh, a product called NCAP, which is a uh, mulch cover. It's made out of, um, you know, recycled paper product, 
It also has a um, starter fertilizer in it, and it also has a polymer, like a, a dry um, granule that when you add water, it plumps up. So it, it makes your new grass less dependent on you to water it. And when you do water it, it also holds more moisture. It holds moisture from the dew in the morning, so it has a tendency to dry out less. But that has a starter fertilizer in it, which gets your new grass off to a great start. So that's nice because you get the cover, the fertilizer, and, and this water crystal in one shot. You know, we're not getting any less busy, it seems, in this world. I think that anytime you can get, you know, more processes or more, more benefits, let's say, in one product, you know, that seems to work for me a lot. So I love that paper product. It also, you know, keeps people from treading on it. They see that there's something going on there, too. So my mailman uh, is notorious for walking over my, my newly growing grass. Or those <laughs> darn dogs. You know, you always got to watch out for the dogs. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um, let's talk a little bit about fertilizer. Sure. Part of my concern with fertilizer mm-hmm. is, you know, a lot of people put down a crabgrass preventer in right. the spring. So, yep. you know, and, and we want a seed. So, you know, inorganic or organic, you know, talk to us a little bit about crabgrass and, and you know, the do's and don'ts when you want a seed and, and whatnot. Well, anytime you're putting new seed down, okay, you you can't use one of the pre-emergent, um, you pre-emergent crabgrass preventers because you'll prevent your new seed from emerging as well. So those pre-emergent, whether it be organic or corn gluten-based product or those products uh, prohibit the seed from opening up. So they prevent prevent any seed that you're putting down. So the window probably, I would say, you know, you'd want to wait at least, uh, I think it's two to three weeks before you do any overseeding after you use a pre-emergent. So pre-emergents go down just about when the snow leaves your lawn. You can use either of the pre-emergents, whether it be a corn gluten product um, or another type of product. They go down, they they blanket the ground to prevent any of your uh, weed seeds like crabgrass, um, your, your annual weeds, crabgrass, or, you know, other annual weeds from popping up. And talk to us a little bit about corn gluten. You know, this is an organic way to, um, you know, prevent crabgrass, but you have to use a lot of it to get good control. Correct. So there's a couple of products. There's an Espoma um, organic weed preventer, which... Corn gluten acts in two different ways. In a high concentration, like in the Aspoma Organic Weed Preventer, um, it prevents, you know, seeds from opening up. And so that's a benefit for crabgrass. Even in, a, in that concentration as well, it's a nitrogen-based product, so it can feed your lawn as well. So corn gluten is a great product to use either as a weed preventer early in the spring, and the side benefit is, it um, does add a lot of nitrogen into your lawn. I think at this point we'll probably take a quick break, Jim, and uh, we're going to be back for more of the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. You may not know it, but most lawn fertilizers actually spread chemicals and pesticides across your entire lawn. 
Until now, that's been the history of lawn care products. It's also why Espoma has developed an affordable, all-natural lawn program that is safe for kids and pets. The program consists of four organic fertilizers that are specifically formulated to keep your lawn green. Each product lasts two and a half times longer than traditional chemical products, and they won't burn your lawn or leach away. You already know Espoma as a name you can trust. They've been making organic plant foods like Holly Tone and Plant Tone for over 84 years. Imagine a great-looking lawn that you're not afraid to walk barefoot on. It's a whole new day in lawn care. Look for Espoma organic lawn food products wherever quality lawn and garden products are sold. And visit Espoma.com videos to learn more about organic lawn care. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Esther Brooks. We're talking with Jim Massey about our lawns and plow damage. And, you know, our lawns are the number one plant we deal with in our landscape. And, Maine, we don't take care of our lawn the way they do in other states. We don't put as much chemicals on our lawn. We tend to go a more organic route. Jim, let's let's talk a little bit about organic fertilizers and the differences and what we need to do for organic treatments to really work here in Maine? Well, the thing about organics is they're not as quick-acting as, say, a chemical product. And so patience is a virtue, like I like to say. So you have to apply an organic earlier, typically, than you would an inorganic to get the results that you need. But once you get on to the organic trip, let's say, in your lawn, the lawn tends to be more um, more taking care of itself instead of doing maybe uh, damage control or spot fixing. So that's why I personally like the organic because I can put it down. It's a slower release nutrient to my grass. So my grass or any other plant, in this case we're talking about grass, can take that nutrient up in a fashion that's a little bit slower and doesn't make the lawn you know, excessively grow when, you know, a lot of the time we're fighting whether we want to be mowing or not or what have you. So I like a little slower approach to the organics. Go slow before you go fast is mm-hmm. kind of how I put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and talk to me about the pH in your soil and t- different types of lime. Oh, right. Well, we, we really recommend for um, any lawn at this point, we recommend a slow-release pelletized lime which is a lot easier to use because the granule, it doesn't blow all over. I'm, I'm sure you've had times in the past when you're out there with the powdered lime and the winds are blowing, you know, and, uh, you know, you're covered. So yeah, this you... product is a lot easier to use. Um, you use a lot less of it. For instance, like one bag covers 5,000 square feet, whereas the old types of lime, you know, one bag covered 1,000 square feet. So it's a lot um, easier to use. And also, um, it's a calcium base instead of a magnesium base, which reacts better with our soils, which can really help to um, cut down on your weeds. So by getting your soil to a better pH, a pH that's more conducive to grass, which is like 6.5 to 7, you know, you're also helping the grass uptake nutrients. So if your lawn is too acidic and you haven't used lime, um, either spring or fall, the grass doesn't have the support it needs without the lime 
to uptake the nutrients to make it healthy. And so that is really a key with, you know, applying Lyme. And, and you know, it's amazing how many customers come in and they, like, I can't grow grass in this area. And they said, the moss is just overtaking this area. Right. Um, you know, that's a prime example of your pH is way too low. Um, let's face it, here in Maine, we have a lot of pines and oaks, um, and they naturally acidify the soil. So, you know, one thing I want to talk about on the lime is that the product that we're selling is a, a calcium lime. Right. And it's very important for people to understand that a magnesium lime is also promotes a lot of weed growth. Yeah. Um, and, and for years we sold pelletized lime that was more magnesium-based and powdered limes. And believe me, when I was a kid and having to spread lime in the vegetable fields or, right. or on the lawn, I looked like Casper the Friendly Ghost. Yeah. I mean, the wind was blowing into my face. It was all over my clothes. You know, and I remember the 50 bags I had to spread. It's nice to just have one bag to cover the lawn or two bags instead of 20. Talk to me a little bit about you know, we hear um, four-step programs, whether it's organic or synthetic. What about four-step? Is it necessary or? Well, four-step, yeah, because your lawn's going to need different things at different times of the year. And so when you use, you know, a, a basic lawn fertilizer for every different type of season for your lawn, you're not getting the benefit of it because your grass is needing different things. It's responding to different environmental stresses, different watering stresses. And so, you know, we do carry a, a four-step program under the Espoma line. It's a spring boost, which is formulation especially for spring to kind of help your lawn rebound from any winter damage. There's also um, a lawn food, which brings you through your late spring, early summer months. And then you go to a summer fertilizer for your, you know, July, August, early September, and then you have a fall program as well. And so, you know, if you really want to have that perfect lawn, a nice green lawn, and um, you want to reduce environmental impact, which is, you know, becoming more and more important for people, you know, this is a great way to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think with the organic lines, it's just really important that... You know, you understand you have to be fertilizing your lawn every four to six weeks or right. six to eight weeks. It's just not an option. A, a, a organic program will not work if you just kind of come in and fertilize here and then wait six months and fertilize in the fall. It just doesn't work on an organic program, does it? Correct. Yeah. And what about synthetics? Let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, there's many of them put down. Let's talk time frames of, of different things, you know, crabgrass, weed preventers, stuff like that. Well, again, the synthetics work similarly to, uh, like a crabgrass preventer will work similarly to an organic product. Um, you want to put that down early in the spring for, you know, uh, any crabgrass prevention um, right when you can see your lawns starting to uh, not necessarily green up. It just has to be cleared of snow. And that, the window for any of the preventatives, um, chemical or otherwise, the time frame to stop putting a crabgrass down would be, you know, when things are really warming up. Forsythia, for instance, is one of the indicator plants. So when forsythia is really starting to leaf out and we're moving into late spring, you know, that would be when you didn't want to use a pre-emergent like that. Once you get beyond that point and crabgrass has started to germinate, 
then you would need to go to like a liquid preventative measure, and that's usually in a chemical form. And with liquids, it's kind of nice because we get the flexibility of spot treating. Correct. So if you happen to miss a certain part of your lawn, per se, which is really easy to do when you're using a spreader, you know, you can use a, a spot treat it with like a liquid chemical application. And the benefit, again, of the, of the chemical application is that it's immediate. It's not immediate, but it's a fast-acting choice. With the liquids, it's, you're, you're spraying the adult plant, not germination uh, of the seed. So, you know, the one thing I like to tell people about mm-hmm. synthetics is if you don't have to do the whole lawn, you might look at a liquid product that you can kind of spot treat. Maybe it's only the edge of the driveway that you ever have crabgrass. No need to put crabgrass weed and feed all over the whole lawn. Let's just spot treat a little bit. It's a lot less for the environment and, uh, you know, no real need to do the 5,000 square feet you, you have. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. You reduce your imp- because you, you don't need it in the rest of the lawn, so spot treating, you know, reduces the Im- impact in, uh, of the area. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, there's always a confusion with weed and feed, you know. Um, Weed and feed is something we all have sold for a long, long time. Um, but it's very interesting. The foliage of, of the weeds needs to be wet when we put it down, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yep. And what's a great time of, of day to put that down? Yeah, I think that it's the, the sunnier the better for weed and feed. You know, I think a morning application is great because of the, the dew factor. Sometimes your grass is already moist from the, from the evening. And so then you don't need to water your grass before you put the feed down, the weed and feed product. And, you know, I just wanted to mention that this probably would be, we haven't talked about that this would be for your perennial weeds, you know. So weeds that are already up and perennialized or weeds that are annual weeds that, you know, have already sprouted. So I think early morning is always best for that type of application. And we want to make sure that we wait a while until these weeds are fairly active, correct? Oh, yes. Yeah, you want them to be in an active growing state. So you're looking, you know, end of April, May, when it's really starting to warm up. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, with all these synthetics, you know, certainly you want to be cautious about how you use them. You know, certainly visit your local garden center. Talk to us about the safety concerns you might have. Um, It's always important to weigh the impact of going organic or synthetic. And certainly, you know, it sounds like you've got quite a few products there to to handle both sides. Absolutely. And, you know, part part of the thing is these products are becoming more and more safe. But it all is about how you apply, and so the label is incredible. I, I, I talk to a lot of people that, you know, will skim the label, but um, you have much better results environmentally as far as success in keeping your weeds down by following the label to the T, to the letter. So that's a common thing is uh, people are using too much product, which can, can work against you, I think, in the end. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, come in and talk to your local garden center, um, you know, because it's very important that we have the experience. A couple, what are, what are some things that customers should, when they're coming to the garden center, what type of information should they bring with them? Well, any, whether it be, um, whether it be lawn or any other type of plant, and, you know, here we're talking about lawn, but very key to know what type of soil that you have, if you can, you know, whether it be clay or sand, because 
These fertilizers work differently um, in different soils. Whether the, the area, the lawn area, is in full sun or shade or dark shade, for instance, which is pretty rare for lawn to be growing in, but whether there are large trees in the area. You know, a lot of um, really mature trees and tree roots can really be detrimental in, in um, pulling the life, so to speak, out of that lawn area and prohibiting lawn from growing. Um, there's too much competition. Um, so, you know, those are all great things to have if you can. And, and also, um, you know, the site, whether it be uh, really heavily windy site, ocean side, um, edge of a windy field, those, those are all things to keep in, in mind when you're trying to have success with grass or, or really any plant. You know? Yeah, the biggest thing I always find people never have is their square footage. Yes, that's true as well. Thank you. That's a, that's, that's a perfect one. Square footage. In order to apply any of these chemicals or, or other products, whether it be natural chemicals as well, like the, um, the espoma line, fertilizers, such, lime, etc. Accurate square footage is really a bonus because without knowing your square footage, we can't gauge the amount of fertilizer you need so you can under-apply or over-apply, and, and that's really not going get to get you the benefit that you need. Yeah, square footage seems to be the number one thing, and for folks who don't know how to calculate that, it's length times width, yeah. very easy. Um, we need general numbers. We don't need it down to a you know perfect science, um, right. but you know whether it's five thousand or ten thousand or twenty thousand square feet, you know people have a very poor gauge of what they actually have for square footage. Yeah, I hear a lot of well, it's about this size here. You know, yeah. <laughs> and so again, I understand how that happens. But uh, in order to get the results that we we need, we just need the, the more information we have is always better. Absolutely. Well, Jim, I'd like to thank you for coming on again. Uh, certainly, we'll we'll be talking more throughout the the shows. But uh, this will be a big help for all those folks that have damage this spring, and uh, hopefully, the lawn's greening up here pretty soon. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Tom. All right. We've uh, been talking with Jim Massey, manager at uh, Yarmouth, and we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more for the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. At highway speeds, the average text takes your eyes off the road for about five seconds. That's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Stop texts. StopRex.org. We know you have lots of choices when buying plants and garden supplies. But wouldn't you rather come to someone at your local garden center where you know us and we know you? Someone who knows Maine soil, Maine's climate, and knows what plants will thrive here. Someone who will make sure you find what you're looking for here or at one of our other independent garden centers. We support each other and work together to satisfy you. Wouldn't you rather come to your local garden center? We're the Independent Garden Centers of Maine at maineigc.com. And welcome back to the Joy of Gardening. We just wrapped up talking about our lawn and plow damage with Jim Massey, nursery manager in Yarmouth uh, at Estabrooks. And... Um, Let's face it, I have a lot of plow damage. It's going to be a lot of work in my yard. I'm sure you have quite a bit also. Um, we're going to kind of take one more quick question. It kind of goes along with the tip of the week. Um, it's from Diane in Saco, and she's looking to start plants indoors, specifically 
on the use of grow lights and how to get nice, healthy plants and that you buy at, at our local nurseries. Um, and I want to just let everybody know the tip of the week is brought to you by Maine Landscape and Nursery Association. I am going to be president of that association next year and uh, am actively involved in that. And certainly if you're looking for contractors or garden centers um, or the professionals in our industry, it's a great place to go. Uh, visit melna.org uh, for um, any more information or contact me via our website at estabrooksonline.com. But the tip of the week this week is to talk about seeds and the expectation of, of homeowners producing plants similar to what they buy in um, our nurseries. It's very tough. I just want to let you know right off the bat. Um, grow lights are wonderful, and they've come a long way, and growing plants indoors um, is something that more and more of us are doing, whether it be vegetable seedlings or, or annuals or, or perennials or whatnot. What I would recommend is that um, you do a bunch of research on your lighting. Um, you can buy lighting fixtures that are in the 100 to $500 range. Um, you can buy hydroponic systems that cost a lot of money. But if you're not going to use them year in and year out, it's probably not worth the time, effort, to go ahead and try to start on a program like that. Now, if this is something you're really actively interested in and, you know, want to kind of start down that road, my suggestion is start out with a windowsill garden. Don't bother buying a light. You can buy a nice light that goes in a lamp that will help a lot. Um, but don't go so far that you have to buy all kinds of grow lights and heat mats and, and all kinds of things. It's extremely tough for you as a homeowner in the in the home to be able to produce the same type of plant in which we do in the garden center. Number one, the greenhouse is full of humidity. We've got proper fertilization. We've got all the light levels we need. We're able to do all types of pest control that we might need to do. In the home, it's a little tougher. Disease is always a concern, but certainly you can get close it probably is not going to be the same quality because you can't start your stuff as early as we do in a greenhouse. So by you starting your seeds, Diane, um, you probably want to push it back a little bit later than what we would normally start in, in the greenhouse. Um, and the reason being is you have to harden these plants off, you have to transplant them, you have to move them into bigger pots, and that starts to take a lot of room. Um, so the big thing is not letting your seedlings get leggy and moderating temperature is very important in seed control and height. Lights will help keep things from stretching, but they also produce a lot of heat. So when we get a lot of heat, the plants typically stretch, they become leggy, and they're not as strong. In the garden center and in the greenhouse, we have the opportunity to transplant these, these plants, to move them out into the greenhouses, and to be able to space them and run the temperatures appropriately and moderate them during the day or night, whatever temperature we want. In the house, it's very tough. You know, you have a situation where you're running your house at one temperature. It's very tough to cool them off. And so you start to get leggy plants. The lights will help with that. It'll help create better nodes to the plants. They'll be stockier. Um, but transplanting your plants um, consistently into larger pots earlier 
and growing them on in a nice sunny, say, bay window, or um, maybe you have some French doors that go out to your deck and you could put them on on the floor um, so they get good light. And then, you know, getting them outdoors on nice days as early as possible. Um, But you've got to be cautious about cold wind. You've got to be cautious about you put them out in the morning and you don't come home till late and the temperatures dip below freezing. So a lot of things, you know, if you have a coal frame, you might be able to use outside. So, you know, it's not a perfect scenario at home. It never really will be. Um, But certainly don't hesitate to give it a shot. Um, Start out with an inexpensive light fixture is what I would recommend and work your way up to higher quality type products. Um, You know, because if you're not really in it, you know, full all the way, it's very tough to do um, and get your plants in bloom early enough in the season. So um, certainly give it a shot. Maybe focus on some vegetables might be a good place to start. The plants that flower are a little bit tougher to do but uh this has been the tip of the week um sponsored by melna the main landscape and nursery association visit melna.org for more information uh great people involved in our industry and uh, in our association and um we're gonna wrap up here for this week i'd like to thank you for listening and uh enjoy your saturday I know I'm going to. So get out there and have fun. Enjoy your garden. Tune in every week from 7 to 8 a.m. at WLOB 1310 a.m. and WLOB To pick up the podcast, visit us at estabrooksonline.com and uh, enjoy your week. We hope to see you next week. <laughs>